Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Before we get started, I want to just give you a little of updates and some things that we're going to be doing here uh, this, this upcoming Easter. You know, we've been on this journey of unveiling to you guys our new vision statement that we exist so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. That's why we exist. And we know we can only do that when we are, when we are pursuing at all costs a passionate, God-centered life. You know, one of the things, as we know, Easter is coming up. It's at the end of March. And what we want to challenge all of you to do, you know, we not only did we go through the, the blessed strategy, we've shared that with you, we preached on that. Then we had our 21 days of prayer. We want to combine all of these things that we've been learning about uh, into a, a big Easter initiative. And so what we're going to challenge you guys to do is to take the, those names, you know, when we had our prayer service here on the 21st of January, and we wrote the names, I showed those pictures of that last week, and we scrolled the names. Uh, maybe you weren't even here for that, but what we want to encourage every single one of you to do is to take the 30 days prior to March, so March 1st to March 31st, and pray for that person. What we're going to do is next, starting next Sunday and the following Sunday, so February 25th and March 3rd, we're going to have a little card to give you on prayers to pray for that person and ways to engage that person and so that you can hopefully have the courage to invite them for this Easter Sunday coming up on March 31st. We're having three services, and we believe that God wants, wants to save the people in our community, that they will hear the gospel of Jesus. So I, I know some, some of you maybe have never invited anyone to a, a church service or never invite anyone to anything, um, but we're going to encourage you to do that. We're going to print out little invite cards as well to invite them to Easter. Um, but what we want to do is kind of combine all the things we've been learning in this process and apply them to this opportunity that all of us have to reach those that are close to us but far from God. So I wanted to share that with you. We'll talk about that more later. Um, but let's dig into the book of Ruth. We're in this series, All Things for Good. But really, what we have been learning in the first chapter is there's a lot of things in this, in this story that is not so good. You know, Naomi and Elimelech with their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they leave Bethlehem because of a famine and they go to Moab and, and the boys get married, but Elimelech dies and then Malon dies and then Kilion dies and there's, these, there's this tragedy that strikes. And so Naomi's left with these two daughters-in-law and last week we looked at the journey back home because when she heard that, there, that God had visited the land of, of Israel again, she makes a, the, the traverse back to her homeland. And in the midst, she's like, I, I'm, I'm cursed. I'm bad luck. You, both of you go back and have your own lives. You have hope. I don't. But Ruth stays with her and says, no, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where, where you die, I will be buried. There's this beautiful commitment that Ruth makes. And, and we get to the end. So during the mid, middle of that passage, we see Naomi say something where she says, the hand of the Almighty is against me. And we get this little glimpse of, what's, of the pain that she feels inside for the loss that she's been experiencing over the last 10 years. But what we, we don't really get a full glimpse of that until this week's passage. As Melanie read that passage this morning, you, got, you, got, you saw the raw emotion of, of the flood of just, this is what God has done against me. And, and that's really what we're going to be looking at today is how, how life and how the circumstances that Naomi went through shaped her. They created a narrative inside of her and shifted her as a person. You know, I remember um, years ago, this is when I was still in college, there was a, uh, uh, 
my home church, you know, we, all of our kids, all the kids would graduate and go to different places. And this one girl I went to high school with, and she went to a Christian school with like me, and, and um, she went to another Bible school than I went to. But I remember she went off, she found a guy, she got married, uh, young, married pretty young, but after two years, she divorced him and came back to live home with her family because of just incredible, uh, what we found out later, just a lot of issues of abuse. And I just remember her seeing her for the first time after th- this divorce and after the separation. And just, she just looked so different. You know, she was this person that was always, you know, outgoing and bubbly personality. And she just would walk, she remember walking to church and just her head was down and her back was kind of hunched over. And she was very quiet, very reserved. And you could see how this past experience that she had had just really wrecked her emotionally. It just devastated her. And you could see how her personality was different. That's exactly what we see going on here in this passage. That, that Naomi, and it's not just one event, it's, it's, it's I lost my husband, and then I lost my one son, and then I lost my other, I've lost everything. And now she's going back into this, into this, into, to her homeland. And so this narrative that she's been living, that she's been walking in, has now solidified that's how she sees everything. You know, the song we just sang about how, how we have to see the things of God we don't really see in order to understand. That's not the only way we can say it as well. But I promise you this, if Naomi was sitting in this room this morning where we find her in this passage, I guarantee you this, she wouldn't be able to sing that song. And maybe that's like you this morning. Maybe you, you, haven't, you weren't able to sing that song this morning because of, the, of what you're going through, what you're feeling. But, but here's, here's what I know, that, that the narrative that, that Naomi is in doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's reality. The reality of what God is doing was far greater than the narrative that Naomi was living in. And that's exactly what can happen to you and I in our lives. That through life, through our experiences, through the ups and downs, through the tragedies and the disappointments, what happens is many times we let the experiences of life shape us in a way that it creates a narrative in which how we see people, how we see ourselves, how we see God, and then it changes how we live in this world. That's not the way God wants us to live. God is opening, He wants us to open our eyes to the fullness of what He is doing. That's one of the themes of this book is that God is a providential God working in ordinary ways through ordinary people, but he's doing his work always. And Naomi was confronted with this. And when your narrative confronts reality, what will win? I remember as a, as a kid, my parents, you know, whenever you're a parent, many times you do these like checkups with your kids. You're like, you know, you guys don't, we don't treat anyone special. Like there's no, there's no favorites here, right? And, and you want all your kids to be like, yeah, there's no favorites. But typically, you know, everyone's like, no, they're their favorite. They're their favorite. That happened to my family one time when we were, when I was younger, I have an older brother and a younger sister. And then I have a younger brother that came 10 years after me. But, but it was just the three of us older kids. And we were all like under 10. But I remember my parents sitting at the dining room table one night and they said, you guys, you know, no, we don't have any favorites, right? And both my older brother and my younger sister pointed at me like, no, Ben's the favorite. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm the middle kid, right? How did this happen? Now, let me explain to you their narrative and reality, all right? So, so the narrative was, you treat Ben better than you treat us. That was their narrative. Do you know what the reality was? The reality was, I was a very sickly child. 
I had major issues with asthma, was in the hospital multiple times. I had a lot of allergies, and so there's a lot of foods I could not eat because it affected my health. And so what my, what my siblings saw was, you're always, you're always going off with Ben and doing fun stuff. No, they're called doctor's appointments. <laughs> oh, you're buying them all this special food. I'm like, I would rather eat that than this, right? And, and, but but it, it, the way they saw it was, you're treating him more special than you're treating us. And, and I, I get that's... That's a hard road to navigate when you're a parent. But the, but the reality is that many times our experience clouds reality. And that's what's happening with Naomi in this passage. The main idea I want to leave you with that this passage is all about is that you can live in your narrative of pain or in the reality of God's goodness. You can live in your narrative of pain or the reality of God's goodness. Naomi was let the, the narrative, she let the pain of her life, the, the disappointment of her life, shape her in such a way that that's all that she saw. And what the, what the author is going to do in this passage is show us there's a greater reality that we need to turn our eyes towards. So let's look and see how this happened. How in the world did Naomi get stuck in her narrative of pain? And how can we ourselves allow the pain in our lives to shape us to that's all we see? The first one is this, pain can change your name. Pain can change your name. You see, let's read this again in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Now you got to remember, this is, this is a stirring of excitement. Naomi and Elimelech and her two small boys, they went off and... and it says in the very beginning of the chapter that they sojourned in Moab. So what does that mean? They probably loaded up their wagon, loaded up the, the mule and said, listen, uh, we don't like the famine going on here. We're just going to go for a while and then we're going to come back. Well, over 10 years had passed and, and there's no social media. There's no Facebook. There's no phone calling. There's no texting. If you don't see someone, you're like, something bad must have happened. And so I am sure the townsfolk after a couple years thought, Either they stayed there or something bad happened to them, but they were thought of almost like they're, they're dead because they didn't come back. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. And so when Naomi comes back, I mean, just shows up out of the blue, it says the whole town was stirred. There was this excitement. It was almost like someone had come back to life to them. And the reason why they're so excited is because Naomi was this, most likely this vibrant personality. The name Naomi means lovely or pleasant. And chances are she was this person that was just full of life. And so the reason why they were excited is they got to see their friend, but they, they remembered Naomi for who she was. And, she, and what does she say? Look at, verse, look at verse 20. Then she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Pain can change your name. Pain changed Naomi. Chances are she was someone who was full of life, lovely, pleasant person, and then over the course of the 10 years of death and loss and suffering, she was a different person. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. That's who I am. One of the things we see throughout Scripture, major theme throughout Scripture is your name represents your character. Your name represents who you are. We name kids today because, oh, I like that name, and kids can't make fun of it in junior high. That's typically how we pick names for our children. 
But, but names in the Bible, there was, there was something meaningful behind them. And so what, what, whenever you see a name change in the Bible, it's typically there's a character change. We see this, for example, in the story of Jacob. Jacob is a name that means deceiver or heel grabber. And, and he has this, his entire life, what's Jacob doing? He's undermining and deceiving everyone around him. Steals the birthright. Steals the blessing. You know, does, both he and his father-in-law Laban are at each other. And they, they, they all kind of, it's all about deception. And finally, Jacob comes face to face with God and wrestles with him overnight. And it's in that moment that Jacob yields his life and his heart fully to Yahweh. And what does God do? He changes Jacob's name to Israel. And you see a change in Jacob from then on out. See, a change of name was a change in character. And typically that's a good thing. But what you see here is it's a bad thing. She says, I was this pleasant, lovely person, but now I'm just bitter. I'm a, I'm a bitter woman. She's not the same person that she was before. And what, what is, why has she done this? Because Naomi has allowed the pain in her life to get stuck in it. She's stuck in her pain. All of us go through suffering. All of us go through pain. All of us go through sin, disease, death, guilt, shame, disappointment, mourning. Dreams can be dashed. But what happens is in those moments when, when life does not turn out the way that we expect it to, how does that shape you? Is pain and suffering and processing what you have been through, is it a rest stop by which you have to recalibrate? Or do you get stuck at that rest stop and you start pitching a tent and saying, like, I'm going to live here? That's very easy to do. I, I remember having a conversation with someone, um, and, and this, this gentleman came to see me for some counsel, and he just shared with me his his heartbreaking story. And when he was younger, um, 15 years ago, prior to when I, he was talking to me, um, he was supposed to get in this car with his dad to go help him with a work project. He was feeling ill. So his mom says, you know, go see the doctor. I'll help your dad. So she gets in the car with his dad. And on the way to this project, driver runs a stop sign light, wasn't sure, but, but nailed the car, killed his mom instantly. And for 15 years, he carried the guilt he carried, I should, have, I should have been the one. I should have been the one that died. And he says, every, every good thing that happens to him in life, he wonders, I don't deserve this. I wish my mom was here. Every time a child was born, and it, is just, it, was, a, it was paralyzing to him. And he, he said he, would just, he was just overcome with grief, and he couldn't take it. This is what drove him crazy. It was when people were like, just get over it. See, there, there are certain things in life you don't get over. It's not about getting over it. It's learning how to walk through it. And what Naomi is expressing in this moment is she's saying, there, I have such a deep wound that this, this wound has turned into, it's solidified in my life. And, and the anger of, of what's happened to me is now changed me. It's changed how I treat people. It's changed how I look at life. It's changed how I look at God. It's changed everything about me. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. What I, what I think is really important to notice is that as much as Naomi felt this way, as the narrative was shaping in her mind of bitterness, becoming a more bitter person, what I love about the story of Ruth is that the author doesn't go along with Naomi's assessment. You know what the rest of the story, how she's referred to is? Naomi. Naomi said this. 
as much as she saw herself differently, and, and she most likely was a different person. What I love about this is from God's perspective, God knew exactly how he created Naomi to be. And he was going to do everything in his power to help restore her to that same person. You see, God has created you. He's created you in his own unique, special way to to represent the fullness of of the likeness of Christ through your gifts, personality, and and, and the shaping of your life. And yes, because of our own sin, because of the sin of others, because of just living in the, the, bro, the brokenness of our, of our world where there is suffering and there is tragedy and there's pain, that those things can come upon us and they can start chipping away at the type of person God wants us to be. And you have a choice. Either I'm going to let God restore this in me or I'm going to get stay stuck where I'm at. I'm going I'm to let pain determine who I am. I'm going to let suffering determine who I am. Or I'm going to let God restore me to who he wants me to be. That's what we see the struggle going on in Naomi. That was the first thing. Pain can change your name. Number two, pain can change your faith. Pain can change your faith. There's not just one interesting name that Naomi references, but there's a second name that Naomi references. Let's read it again. So so the two of them, let's look down at verse 20. So she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It's underlined that, that name, Almighty. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has te- testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now we know, up to this point, there has been a reference to Yahweh. Uh, the, the, the name here, you see capital L-O-R-D. We also see here refer to God or Elohim, a general name for God. Why does she introduce this name, Almighty? And it's the Hebrew Shaddai, or maybe you're familiar with El Shaddai, but it's the name meaning God Almighty. We see this this name of God very prevalent in the patriarchs. We see this prevalent with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when God is is developing this covenant with this chosen family and this idea of El Shaddai. There's a lot of ideas behind what El Shaddai really means, but, but most likely it carries the weight of God's power, in God's provision, God's care, and God's protection over people. And so this idea of God Almighty, and I'm sure Naomi heard of, of the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and the power and the provision of God throughout the, through the patriarchs and through, through the Exodus story. And, but for her, for her life, Almighty. It's like, this, it's like this name of almost like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what God's power I'll tell you what Almighty God has done to me. He's been against me. See, what Naomi was struggling with, and most every single one of us will struggle with this at some point in our life. We struggle with, with juxtaposing the reality of God's power and God's love. But like We believe in this all-powerful God, in this all-loving God, and yet there's things that happen in our life that, that question either, God, you weren't loving enough to stop this, or you weren't powerful enough to stop this. And there, there will be things that happen to us that all of a sudden we look back and say, um, God, why didn't you stop that? One of the interesting things of going back to school that I'm at right now is studying a lot about how relationships work. And, and one of the things I've been privileged to be able to study is how couples overcome betrayal trauma. Betrayal trauma is one of the greatest fracturings in, in a human can ever experience. 
And, and, and it's, it's kind of like this. In your life, you, if you're building a relationship with someone, what you're doing is you're building that relationship of trust and you're putting deposits of trust in that relationship. And if the trust is big enough, then, then maybe you want to spend more time with them and then you decide to get married to them. But you have all these deposits of trust in this, in this little box of, of your relationship. But when betrayal happens... It's like taking everything you know about life and about this other person and you just smash and shatter it all. And all of a sudden, you're, you're trying to, your, your brain literally goes into survival mode. It, it, it affects the amygdala in your brain and it, it all of a sudden, everything becomes, you start questioning everything. Life as you know it, you start wondering and going back to every single moment of your life and saying, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? Some of you have experienced that. What happens... When we have our box, but it's not necessarily a relationship with our spouse, it's a relationship with God. We, you know, we have our Bible, we have our Bible, you know, we are Sunday school, and God is this, and God is that, and, and you go to church, and you hear about God, and you're putting it all in your God box, and, and you have these good experiences with, at, at camp with God, and, and then you have a couple of things. But then there's a moment in your life where everything you know about God gets shattered, and you experience something where everything, God's love, God's power, Gone in a moment. And that's where, that's where Naomi is. Naomi's like, I, the Almighty? The Almighty's against me. If he, was, if he was so powerful and he didn't stop this, then there's only one. I can only make sense of this in my mind is that God in heaven is against me. And I, I don't know if I can trust him any longer in life. You know, one of the things that I'm, as I was reading and studying this, this passage this week, I had to take a step back and I had to look at this because many of us, we want to rush right into the solution, right into the solution. Okay, how do you help, how do you help this person? Because again, Naomi's, you know, Naomi would be the type of person if you said, hey, Naomi, but all things work together for good to them that love God. Did Naomi want to hear that? She's like, I don't want to hear a Bible verse. I am hurting right now. What I love about this story, and I'm so glad that we have a big enough God to put a person's struggle in the Bible. And you know what it tells me? It tells me if, you have a, if you're wrestling in faith because of what you perceive as God not showing up in the way that you expected him to, that that, that struggle of faith is normal. It's normal. And it's okay. Because Naomi struggled, and God put this story in here to show us there are times in life that it doesn't make sense. There are times in life it really feels like God is actually working against you. And what will you do in that moment? How will you resolve the narrative of your pain in your life? And what Naomi was able to do that I think is really important for her that I think helped her, and I think it's important for us to do, is that she was open and honest about what she really felt. She was open and honest about what she really believed. You know, it's, it's really, in, in these moments, it's really a church. It's not, this is not the place where we try to put up the facade and let's, let's just pretend that everything's okay. It's real, that's why we have life communities. That's why we have men's groups and women's groups. And we have, groups, we have small groups with our, with our students. And that's why we have smaller groups to get together because you need those moments to bring the doubts and to bring the struggles and say, this is the reality of my struggle. I'll never forget one of the first 
small groups we had in our house, and uh, we were doing this new thing in another church of mine, and we were going, reading through the Bible in the years, so everyone had to read about 20 chapters in the book of Genesis, and so my, my, our living room, Liz and I's living room was full of full of couples, and it was just exciting. We're going to read the Bible together and learn together the Bible. And I said, my first question, all right, guys, so what'd you learn this week? First guy, you know, was like, oh, well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore after reading this week. Okay, let's start there. That's not, that's not how I anticipated this going. I thought I was waiting for, I just... I loved how God helped Abraham, and I just thought this story was so wonderful, or I just loved it when God rained fire and, fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. I just love these stories. Now, like what? No, the doubt? I was not ready for the doubt. But you know what? You know what came out of that? One of the best conversations we ever had in a small group. Unless you're willing to be open and honest about what you're really feeling or going through, you can't resolve those things. And what Naomi's doing is actually one of the best things she can do, and she's talking openly about her hurt and her pain. She's being actually honest about what she thinks about God. And that helps her, that will help her to start seeing God again. Because what the author does is the author, the narrator of this story, gets the final word. See, Naomi doesn't, Naomi's perception, Naomi's narrative is not the final word of the chapter. If you were just to read chapter 1 and not have verse 22, you would leave with a very, very dark and very down understanding of what's happening here. But what do you see in verse 22? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, right there, what's happening is the narrator, the author of the story, is sharing three important facts that's going to disrupt the narrative that Naomi feels. It's not saying that Naomi, what she's going through is, is not real. It's what she's feeling is real, but it's not the fullness of reality. And so the author is going to point out three important points in this text to show you, no, God is doing something. There's a reality that Naomi is missing of God's goodness. And the first one is this. Look at verse, start of verse 22 again. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. Why is that significant? What did Naomi say prior to that in verse, verse 21? I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. I don't have anyone. And the author's like, yeah, she came back with Ruth. Can you be empty-handed and have someone with you? can't. You can't. But what, what was Naomi? I, she was only able to see her pain. The, the, the author is like, no, no, she, she's missing that Ruth is there. Ruth the Moabitess, the woman that, that pledged her life and her love and her commitment to her just a few verses before. She's missing it. She's not seeing it. That leads to point number three. Pain, not only that, pain can, can blind you to God's goodness. Pain can blind you to God's goodness. What, what the author is pointing out is that Naomi's pain was blinding her to all these things that God was doing. The first one, you're not alone. God has provided, God has worked in Ruth's heart. Remember, we, we talked about this last week, the worst evangelist in the history of the Bible, Naomi. Go back to your gods. God's against me. Ruth's like, I want that God. Okay, 
This is God working. This is God working and providing relationship with her. She's not alone. She's not not empty-handed. The the second thing we see is this. Um, Look at the last sentence there in verse 22. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, here's what the author is saying. They came back right at the moment by which the harvest for barley begins. That's really important. Because he is, there's a chiasm here in this chapter. He begins the chapter with, with leaving the land in famine. He ends the chapter with returning to the land in a bountiful harvest. You see what's happening? You see, the, the author's pointing out that God is doing something. They didn't, have to, they didn't come back and have to wait around months for a harvest of barley, so they'd have to beg and borrow to, to try to survive. No, they came back right at the right moment that the mercy and the grace of God that worked in Naomi's heart to come back right at the moment, that at the moment they come back, they can go out to the field and eat again. That's God orchestrating these things to happen. And so, so what, Naomi misses it. She's not able to see it's harvest time. And then the third, the third thing that the author says really is the one that you have to take a step back and say, okay, what's going on here? Let's look what it says. So Naomi returned. Now, why would say the Naomi returned? Because she's returning because she used to live in Bethlehem. So when you return to a place, it's because you've been there before, okay? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Time out. Did you pick that up? Did you pick that up? How, how does Ruth return to Israel? She's never been to Israel. She's never been to Bethlehem. Why does the author use the same word for Naomi for Ruth? How does Ruth return to a land she's never been before? The author is saying, the author is making a theological statement with that word. This is what he's saying. Ruth is coming back to, to, to the land of her God. That God, she's always had a God that's desired her, that has wanted her, that has wanted to restore her to himself. And Ruth's return is like the return that all of us are longing for to connect to God. There's a return that all of us need. There's a return that all of us long for, and that is to be returned and restored to our Creator. God was bringing Ruth to himself, bringing him back, and that's what God's going to do with Naomi as well. God is a God who always brings us back. You know, in the, in the most, one of the most famous psalms in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside, uh, you know, he leads me to green pastures. He, he, there's this line that he restores my soul. You know what that word restore, that in the Hebrew, the exact wording of that is he brings me back. He brings me back. God is always working to bring you back to him. You may not feel it. You might fight it. But he will work his providential hand and his supernatural hand to bring you back to him. That's the God we serve. And that's what God is doing to Naomi. And that's what God is doing for you this morning. There might be a narrative of pain that you're walking in right now. And God is asking you to open your eyes, 
to the fullness of the reality of God's goodness. And it's not only that, because there's another narrative that we can get stuck in. It's not just the narrative of pain, it's the narrative of sin. And it's the narrative of rebellion. See, all of us have a narrative that we have been born into, the narrative of our own, our own sinfulness against a holy God. And we want our own way, and we live our own life. And what we tend to do is, God, I know there's a reality you're inviting me into of your lordship and of your power and of your love and of your relationship, but I want to live my own story. I want my own narrative. And when we do that, what, what waits for us is guilt, shame, judgment, condemnation, and hell. See, what, what God does, he loves us enough to come down and give us a reality of what our soul longs for. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to take our guilt, to take our sin, to take our condemnation, so that we don't have to live in the narrative of our sin, the narrative of our guilt, the narrative of our condemnation. That Jesus provides the reality of God's full goodness to you and to I. All it requires is for us to come to him in faith. For us to repent and say, I'm, I'm not going to live in my reality, I'm not going to live in my narrative anymore. A narrative of my own choosing. I'm choosing the reality through Jesus Christ that God wants to give me. That's the God we serve. Are, are you living in, in, a, in a narrative of, of pain or God's reality of goodness? And that leads us to our application questions. Number one, first one is this. Are you, again, are you living in your own reality? Are you living in your narrative of God's reality? Are you living in your narrative or God's reality? Some of you right now are stuck. You're stuck in your pain. And maybe you've moved on in life, but you've never gotten over the suffering that you've been through the disappointment, the discouragement, the betrayal. And so what that's done is it's shaped you. And now you're not the same person that God has created you to be. Second question is this. Have you, how have your experiences changed the way you see yourself in God? How have your experiences changed the way that you see yourself in God? Do you see God through the filter of my experiences or do you see your experiences through the filter of God? One of those will win out. And depending on what filter wins out is what either you'll live in your narrative or God's reality. Third one is this. What are you missing that God is doing now? What are you missing that God is doing now? I, I, I want to challenge you that, that when you leave here today to start keeping track of all the things you're seeing God do. Write down, even if you have to write down one thing a day, that something that you saw the providential hand of God do in your life. To, to be aware that God is the one who always is bringing us back to him. Even what we're going to see from here on out for the rest of the story, chapters 2, 3, and 4, God is going to prove himself to Naomi. He's going to prove himself that he does not forsake the widow or the orphan, but that God's hand is not too short to save. Even a woman who says, call me bitter. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we contemplate what God has for, for us this, this morning, I just want to challenge you this, this morning to lay that narrative down. 
lay the narrative down of pain that maybe you have been allowing to shape everything about you, the way that you see others, the way that you see church, the way that you see God. What is it that has shaped you? Are are you willing to let God in and help you walk through the pain of your suffering? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and that narrative of sin and that narrative, that story of you doing your own thing with your life, is that's you. God is inviting you today to turn from that and to come to him. And that, that requires faith and repentance. To have a genuine relationship with God and to receive the fullness of God's goodness and grace and salvation. God's looking to have you return to him. That requires surrender and submission. Will you do that today? If you don't know how to do that, we'd love to talk with you. Come see me afterwards. I'll be in the lobby. We'll have a prayer team out there with white landers to pray with anyone. Maybe you just need to pray with someone because of the suffering and the stuckness of your pain. Don't leave here today without seeking someone to be honest with. God is calling you to live in his reality of goodness. Father, I pray right now as we leave here today, that God, we would, you would unstuck us. God, I don't know every heart. I don't know every struggle. I don't know the pain that every person feels in this room this morning, but I guarantee you someone in here feels like Naomi this morning. And God, I prayed you'd meet them. God, open their eyes to the reality that they're not alone, that you're orchestrating events to show them that you are a God who cares and loves and that the shattering of their faith will actually create something more beautiful than the ashes that they're in right now. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.